speaking of thankful, John, we may need to reach for this one, but let's talk a little bit about uh, what we are thankful for with the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, not going to be easy. Uh, I, I almost wish, if we're talking about this segment, I almost wish that the Bengals maybe started off one and four, and now they rattled off. They they went four and one, and that's now they're five and five. Um, that way, we'd be a little more positive, maybe at this point. But uh, I'm going to put you on the spot, buddy. I'm going to let you go first, and uh, it could be something. Hey, I'll, I'll even allow cynicism here if you'd like, uh, with your with your grateful whatever you're grateful for with the Bengals. But seeing as how it's Thanksgiving. I thought that it would be appropriate that we talk about something we're thankful for with this, with the Cincinnati Bengals in 2018. All right. Um, always thankful for the helmets. Never change. <laughs> I'm just okay. glad it hasn't changed in my lifetime. So forever grateful for that. Always thankful. Um, people who know me know me as like more of a I'm, – I'm pivoting more towards player fandom than team fandom and team allegiance. And w- w- when it comes to just how players just kind of act – and compose themselves as you know players and representations of the league. I don't care if they're divas. I don't care if they're upstanding citizens. I think they deserve to be whoever they kind of want to be. But I am grateful that the the Bengals of at least my a- adolescence and, and and teenage years and now now I'm 22 years old. I, I'm I'm appreciative of that for the most part. They're 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 pretty upstanding guys and they're pretty well composed. And they just kind of, even though you know we we you know we like to dog on some of them for the most part, I I think that for the most part under Marvin Lewis he's put together a team of pretty solid human beings for the most part. You know guys like Andy Dalton, AJ Green, Geno Atkins, they're got Carlos Dunlap, Michael Johnson. They're 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 just guys that are really, really easy to root for, and they don't really make a fool of themselves. You know you know when when some other teams kind of do so. And again, I I don't hate guys like Oda Beckham or you know other guys like that who kind of up here in, in the media too soon because I understand that there's a lot of more context than I, I think a lot of people miss when they look at players and their social media interactions, whatnot. But the Bengals, you know, even if they are stuck in their ways and they're, you know, consistently mediocre, they, they, they kind of always bring me back because you know, it, it's easy to like the players on this team just from the way that they are as athletes and how they kind of not only just help out in the community, but just how they carry themselves. And I think they're, they, they always have a team that's really easy to root for and kind of guys whose stories that you always enjoy and like to follow. And it's it, honestly, just listening to me, me talk is a little bit cheesy and whatever, but I, I just think that's always something that I'm appreciative and I'm thankful for, even if we want a better roster every single year. It's just guys that I believe are just really easy to root for and really, you know, players that you can look up to, I guess. That's a good one. I like that one. Um, you know, I'm going uh... – I'm going to say a couple of things here. And I, I agree with you, John. Um, I agree that, you know, there are the Carlos Dunlaps, the Geno Atkins guys, the Michael Johnsons who are always nominated for the Walter Payton man of the year. Um, you know, there are a lot of good guys on this roster, which is, you know, cool to see. You saw, I mean, even a guy, Drake Kirkpatrick, he's, he's visiting uh, senior, senior homes and dancing with, with old ladies and, and doing cool things like that. Uh, you know, that's, that's something you don't, you don't see from it shows a level of maturity that we did not see from the Bengals in the mid two thousands, late two thousands, even when uh, the, you know, 
whatever you want to call call it. The the egos were running rampant, and there's some problem children in the locker room. That's not really the case anymore. One thing I'm going to say that I'm pretty thankful for, and it's kind of ironic, and I apologize to our guest, Joshua Finney, about it, but I'm grateful that even though we have experienced a lot of heartbreak as Bengals fans over the past 16 years, I'm very grateful that the past 16 years with the Cincinnati Bengals have looked nothing like that of the, of the Cleveland Browns. Um, I, I'm looking at their records. From 2003 on, not one playoff appearance. 5-11, and 4-12, and 6-10, and 4-12, 10-6. Surprising they didn't make it in, in that year. But 4-12, and 5-11, 5-11, 4-12, 5-11, 4-12, 7-9, 3-13, 1-15, 0-16. I mean, 0-16. You didn't win a game. Imagine <laughs> rooting for a team that year. And then they're 3-6-1 this year, probably heading to a, a losing record, but headed in the right direction. So from that standpoint, I am – grateful that the Bengals, uh, even though we've been frustrated with them, even though we've been and are frustrated with Marvin Lewis at this point in time, we have to at least sit here and say this, this generation, your, your generation of, of, of Bengals fans, John has experienced a much better brand of football than that of a previous generation. Now, when I really started, I mean, I've, I've been a fan since the late, the late eighties when they made that Super Bowl run. But I mean, I, I can remember watching games vividly in the late nineties, early to, you know, late nineties, early two thousands were guys like Jeff Blake and Carl Pickens. And I mean, they struggled to win six games a year, much like the Browns did. And uh, this, this team is different. And I think because of that, the expectations are different. Um, and I think that's a good thing. Now, the expectations, since they are different, they've reached now a boiling point where we're looking for changes. And I guess that brings me to the, a little bit of a second part where I'm thankful for there are, and I'm going to throw a little caveat, a little disclaimer to it. There are a lot of changes that still need to be made, folks. There are a lot of changes that still need to be made. We can argue coaches. We can argue organizational practices, all of that stuff. But at least the Cincinnati Bengals have, have changed a little bit in the fact that there have been some major issues with coaching over the past couple of seasons. And whether it be in-season or this past off-season, the Bengals made decisions. Marvin Lewis made decisions to let go of coaches or not retain them. Unfortunately, one of his hires really blew up in his face this this offseason, but he made this the decision, the needed decision, in order to potentially salvage this season to get rid of Ter- Terrell Austin um, in the middle of the year. These are things he's passed to. I think we mentioned it last week, John. These getting rid of Ken Zampezi last year, getting rid of Terrell Austin this year. These 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 are things that did not happen for a very very long time with the Cincinnati Bengals in terms of getting rid of incompetent coaches in the middle of a season. Many will argue that Marvin Lewis may fall into that same category at this point. Um, But those are a couple of things that I am thankful for with the Cincinnati Bengals as we head to the Thanksgiving holiday. And despite the one in four recent skid, they are still alive theoretically for the playoffs. It's going to take them winning some games, probably games that we expect them to win, but um, that's, that's 
another story for another time. Jeff, Jeff Andy says, I'm thankful for being old enough to remember, to remember seeing the Bengals in two Super Bowls. Um, Andrew Seiler says, I'm thankful for Chris Collinsworth partnership with Camargo Cadillac. Oh yeah. And I'm thankful that Andy Dalton is still healthy. Um, Man, where's some wood to knock on? My God. There we go. Cincy fan, Cincy fan jungle city. I'm thankful that it, I at least have seen a Super Bowl as a Bengals fan. We didn't win, but damn close to it. True. Um, John Telly with with the mic drop here. John Telly, I'm thankful for OBI. But Wednesday evenings wouldn't be as enjoyable. There it is. That, that, that was that was the one correct answer out of all of those. That's so. the that's the best answer. I can't I can't uh, I can't go beyond that one. Um, I don't think we can fight that, right? No, we can't fight facts. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, well, th- well, thank you, John, and everybody else for for tuning in and enjoying the show. We we have fun doing it, so um, we're we're just glad that you guys enjoy it and tune in. Um, we hope that you have a, a happy Thanksgiving, whatever you may be doing. Um, you know, friends, family, even even those who who work, whatever. Just enjoy yourself, be safe, all that good stuff. But uh, there are things, even though there are. Uh, people who think this, the sky is falling on the Cincinnati Bengals. There are things to be thankful for. And there is still a third of the season, right? A third? Yeah. Um, a long third. Yeah. Of the season to be played. It, so they, they've got six games left. They can still win. Uh, they can win a, a number of those and make a playoff push. The AFC beyond the division leaders is pretty weak. So um, maybe they could surprise us and, and, and do a little something special this year still. So, that is that. Let's move on to some listener questions, John. And for those who are tuning in, you can text or call us 949-542-6241. 949-542-6241. Um, you, can, you can get a hold of us that way. Otherwise, we've already seen a bunch of questions in the live YouTube chat. So I'm going to start getting to some of those, John, um, before we leave and celebrate the holiday. Let's see. Uh, seeing stuff about Hunter Sharp, the guy that the Bengals uh, grabbed. That's a, that's a fake name. I have no idea who that is. That's a, that's a, yeah. That is a, oh boy, here we go. Um, Amanda Bramble just throwing, throwing an early grenade into, into everything. Um, basically, do you think the Bengals should move on? from Andy Dalton and draft another quarterback in 2019? And do you think uh, we should fire all the coaches and start fresh with a new coach? And yeah, let's just go there. Do you think clean house right now, as you sit here right before Thanksgiving, clean house with coaches and quarterback or somewhere middle ground, keep it as is and really try and rectify certain position groups. I, 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 where do you stand on this? And I, th- I think I know where you're going to go, but go for it. Um, eventually, the, the great purge has to happen within the next two years. Um, it's still very early in the draft process, but I don't know if you've been keeping up with college football, but quarterback class for 2019 does not look very Sucks. solid. And, like, if, you, it, it, the bang, if the Bengals wanted a quarterback for the future, they should have taken in the last two drafts. And they 2017, they had a great posi- they had a great chance to do so. Patrick Mahomes went right after John Ross, but regardless, yeah, yeah, like eventually Marvin and everyone associated with him long-term 
has to be purged from the roster. And I think they have a great opportunity to do so after the 2019 season when Tua from Alabama probably declares for the draft. You know, Tank for Tua is probably on the minds of a lot of teams right now. Eventually, yeah, I want to move on from Andy Dalton because I know he's a limited quarterback. And combined with Marvin Lewis, that's a, that's a limited potential for your team quarterback and head coach wise. I don't uh, like just just from just general forecasting beyond this year, Andy Dalton probably gives them the best chance out of any other quarterback that they could obtain beyond from him. And I, I know a lot of people want Marvin fired, but the the, the dude signed a two-year extension this offseason. And Marvin Lewis, or excuse me, Mike Brown hasn't fired him once his contract expired. There's no way he would fire him with one year left on his contract. So, yeah, I'm in, I'm in favor of the purge eventually when the time is right. And the time probably would have been right last year the, or the year, uh, the year before that. This year, just with how the thing, how the way things have played out, they kind of missed their chance, and now they got they got to wait for that next opportunity. Yeah, two two was a lefty, right? I mean, last yeah. time the Bengals had a lefty quarterback, they he was pretty good for them. So, um, you know, that makes some sense. But here's here's my thing, and I'm I'm with you on the the 2019 quarterback class. I think that. Even if it's a draft a guy to groom behind Andy Dalton for a year or two, I don't think this is the year to, to do no. it. I, I, I don't like any of these guys as, quote-unquote, franchise quarterbacks. Um, very, very weak class in, in that regard. And I think that if you're, if you're not going to get the quarterback – of the future or, you know, uh, usually a new coach and a new quarterback go hand in hand. Right. That, that, that's just how it usually works. This franchise and, and this era of Marvin Lewis, you know, this Andy Dalton and Marvin Lewis and Mike Brown, they're, you know, they're conservative. They're not overly flashy. Um, and they, they kind of know each. So I'm kind of with you. Hey, let's, play this thing out till Marvin's contract, including with Andy um, again, try and reset the pieces. We know who Andy Dalton can be when that, when the surrounding talent is there, when, when he had AJ Tyler Eifert, Marvin Jones, uh, Muhammad Sanu, all these guys, we we've seen who Andy can be uh, and he can be pretty dang good as, you know, offensive line, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so, you know, I think maybe at that point, you say, okay, give them, give them this year. If, if they don't make the playoff push, give them another year, reload on, on both sides of the ball, see what you can do. And then if, you know, if you're kind of stuck in neutral once again, which I'm, I'm betting they probably will be, then that's when you say, you know what, new coach, new quarterback, let's move on. And, and just to throw like an extra thing in there, the Giants went out and got a new head coach in Pat Shermer, but they took a running back instead of a quarterback second overall, and now we see where they are right now. So when you bring in a new head coach, it has to be, a new quarterback in there, or else you're going to be stuck in even further purgatory than when you were. Yeah, and and here's the other thing to think about. When the 2019 season is over, and we're potentially looking at new coach, potentially new quarterback, Andy Dalton will be in his early mid-30s. A.J. Green will be in that same age range. Carlos Dunlap will be in, in his mid-30s. Geno Atkins will be in his mid-30s, early mid-30s. Your star players, at that point, you could probably say the window that existed with the 2010 draft class on, you know, the 2010-2011 where you got the bulk of your stars, you can probably say that window is closed. You gave them 10 seasons 
And if you cannot win a championship with guys who have made multiple Pro Bowls, set franchise records, all of that, at that point, you could probably say that window is closed. Yeah, we can still let them play out their contracts or whatever, but you got to start building around other people, um, including quarterback and, and all of that. I think at that point, you know, like, like I said, you're, you're nine, 10 plus years into the thing with these guys. And at that point, that championship window that was wide open in that 2013 through 2015 era or, or group of years has, has probably closed. So that, Amanda, is what I think uh, the Bengals should probably do um, going forward. I think John, to a certain degree, sounds like you kind of agree a little bit, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing a lot of comments back about uh, Josh Finney, which is pretty, pretty funny. Someone had said Baker Mayfield is the Carson Palmer uh, to the Browns back in 2003. Um, I saw another one that was pretty good. That's not a bad analogy, though. Carson Palmer, yeah, first overall pick, Carson Palmer. Yeah, yeah. There was something, I, okay, there was something I saw about the fourth and three this last week, and, and I think this is a hot topic um, based on what you wrote, I've written about it. Many other people have written about it on Cincy Jungle. The fourth and three, the the fourth and three heard around the world, John. Um, Cincinnati needing to drive down the field, at least kick a field goal and um, maybe score a touchdown to win. And, you know, believe it or not, with all the struggles and everything, that's what the Bengals did at the beginning of the year, right? They – they were down or they were tied or whatever, even in that Pittsburgh game, they came back and you're like, Hey man, these guys, no matter what, they can come back. Um, they kind of started to do it a little bit, even without AJ green out there, but inexplicably fourth and three, the ball goes to Cody core. The guy who was your sixth wide receiver that you kept when you made the, the final roster cuts How do you explain that? Now, there, there are people that say, you know, Dalton went through progressions. I haven't really looked totally at the film or whatever, but he went through progressions and Core was the guy that, you know, he was maybe his third look and that's where he went. Um, there are people who say, why is he even on the field at that juncture? I'm kind of like, I guess a little bit in the middle where, yeah, why are you going to him? But more so than that, if you don't trust him, why is he on your team? Yeah, and I don't know why the Bengals would ever, at this point, trust Cody Core because, as you mentioned, he has more like incompletions thrown his way than completions at, at through three years in his career. There was that whole talk about you know 2017. He was supposed to be like the, you know the, like the new number two in that offense and ended up not catching a single pass that season. The the the, the play it, itself at this point is pretty overanalyzed. It, Core was believe it or not, the best option in terms of just schematics and just matchups on that on against that defense, against that personnel. But the fact that you would put him there, that you would put him in the position to take advantage of that is mind-boggling. And the fact that Auden Tate was in that exact same spot, about to run that exact same route before the Bengals had to call a timeout to get to, in order to not take a delayed game. And then you take Tate out and put Core in, it even it, it makes it even more mind-boggling than it already is. But just that whole sequence of, of events and how the Bengals had like the same personnel package, the same formation, the same look for like two or three consecutive plays 
and the Ravens managed to counter it perfectly and, and make a play on a route that they pretty much knew was coming with a bad player. It's like the it's like the worst possible late game management that you can possibly conjure up. And I think um, Andy Dolan has to be held accountable for you know allowing that to happen and not changing the play and not adjusting something, knowing that the Ravens knew what was going to happen. And you have to hold Bill Lazor accountable for just not being creative enough. They'll have to be able to win these close games against the division rival on the road. And that 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 specific scenario is just it's just so typical at this point with with this team. And I, I think it shows a lot about who Bill Lazor really is as a play caller. So here's and and here's also my thing, right? Marvin Lewis after the game, I, I, I don't know which media member it was, but a media member asked Marvin Lewis after the game, basically, what's going on with Alvin Tate, right? He was, act, <laughs> he was active last week, um, didn't get anything his way. He was, at, he was active this week. He was out there, I think, one play, made a catch. It was just short of the first down, but he made a catch, contested. You don't trust him his size, his hands in that situation. He's a rookie. We know how Marv can treat rookies at times. So he's not out there. Core is. You would think that out in Tate, I mean, he's bigger than core. He's slower, but he's bigger than core. And he has shown the propensity to catch a lot of difficult passes and whatnot. So he may have a little bit better chance. But besides the point, okay. Marvin didn't trust Tate. Laser didn't trust Tate to be out there on that play. Marvin then says, you know, Tate's a practice squad guy. We just called him up, you know, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so so you're saying publicly that you basically don't trust Tate at this point, yeah. right? So why then, when the trade deadline loomed, and you knew A.J. Green was hurt, who knows what you really believed about Cody Core at that point. You probably primarily were keeping him around for special teams. Josh Malone, hurt. Why then did you not go make a move for a veteran guy to potentially help and be a Band-Aid if that's how you feel about Alden Tate? That's what I don't understand. I think it's more indicative of their misplaced faith in a guy like Cody Core. And similar to Core, there's Alex Redman, Hardy Nickerson. I guess Cody Core is the receiver version of both those two. It's just constantly year after year we see this team try to make things work. You know, they, they stuck their necks out for Redman. You know, Marvin obviously has the connection with Nickerson, and I guess Core is just in that same boat as as if you know, you know, we, we've either publicly acclaimed these players or we've demeaned his competition at the same position group. Where in the case for Redmond, it's kind of like Westerman, and I guess for Nickerson, I guess is um, Malik Jefferson would be the, the 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 other part of the analogy. There, it's just them and spe- specifically Lewis, you know, trying to make things work and trying to make them you know more than what they are instead of just recognizing you know a a lapse of judgment or player in player evaluation and just the unwillingness to kind of deviate from that because if Auden Tate is playing for Cody Core, if you know Christian Westerman is or Trey Hopkins is playing instead of Alex Redman, if Malik Jefferson's playing instead of Hardy Nickerson, this team at least is probably a little bit noticeably better. And it, it, I would for sure trust Tate to make that catch and to make that play over Cody Core because he literally just made the same play earlier in the game and it's it's clear that Auden Tate's getting like the John Ross treatment at this point and that's something that I guess we can always expect with Marvin Lewis. Yep. Uh, moving on, we'll we'll do two kind of quick ones and get out of here, John. Um, someone had asked about Bill Lazor's job being in jeopardy. I think it was maybe was it Nathan Nathan McGuire or uh, I forget who it was in the since uh, he fan Jungle City. Um, Lazor's job being in jeopardy. Um, 
here's here's my thing with it. Uh, courtesy of Jay Morrison of uh, Athletic Cincinnati, he writes he did um, some some updated stats after the game on Sunday. Total offense twenty fifth, rush offense twenty fifth, pass offense twenty first, scoring offense eleven. Um, to me, way too many three and outs. And when you have a struggling defense, it makes them struggle more. When you're feast or famine, and you're going through this, I, what was it? What was it, John? On the first, the first half, what five of their six possessions? Were six. Yep. Um, can't have that. Even without AJ Green, you can't have that. So is he? Is his job in jeopardy? Again, we're we're looking. Is there's a, the question about Amanda, the coaching staff? You know, or is it? Now it's you get rid of your defensive coordinator. Is it time to get rid of the offensive coordinator and start over once again in 19? I think he should definitely be held accountable when they look back at the season in review because even with like the end of or the games in 2017 where he took over, I think they still finished like pretty, pretty much in the bottom of most statistical categories. So the Bill Lazor era of the Bengals had four good weeks, and that was when both A.G. Green and Tyler Eifer were on the field. Yep. So I think – just similar to Ter- to Terrell Austin, he kind of had this mindset like if we can force a lot of turnovers, you know, we'll, we'll be at least a competent defense. And I think with Bill Lazor said, if we can rely on the presence of AJ Green and Tyler Eifert throughout the season, we can be a competent offense. And as we've seen with both scenarios, if shit hits the fan and the, 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 they don't have the original plan in, in, in place, both Austin and Lazor in this specific case has failed to realize how to adjust on the fly and keep things moving and just basically he's falling flat on his face at this moment. And I don't think any Bengals fan should be confident that this guy is competent enough to handle things when things get bad and that they should definitely be on in the market for a more innovative and creative offensive mind going forward. Yeah, that's a great point about, you know, what they were relying on, what guys, what they were relying on Austin and laser at the beginning of the season. I think also laser probably was relying on the fact that Austin's unit would get more turnovers and create field position opportunities for them. Uh, short field, be able to get points, all that kind of stuff. And that just didn't really consistently come to fruition. Um, I'm going to abstain on my opinion on this because I think this, these next six games will say a lot. Unfortunately, they're coming against teams, uh, some of which are not very good. Um, so that may play into his favor a little bit, much like, you know, the, the season saving wins at the end of the year for Marvin last year. But for now, I think there's six important games left. And, uh, you know, if he can make some adjust- adjustments to rely more, a little bit more on the running backs, all that kind of stuff, you know, I'll be a little more pleased. But for now, it's been a much like everything with the Bengals over this past month and a half has been a sharp fall off of a cliff. So um, that uh, that's where we stand on laser. And then, uh, real quick, I believe it was Andrew Seiler. This was the one I saw earlier and I missed. Uh, Pac-Man Jones recently released need and or want him on Cincinnati's defense. I think even if we did need him, I think that's a that's a name and face that they're better off just kind of leaving in the past at this point. Um, like 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 we talked about the great purge from from Lewis, and I think part of that was you know having an exodus of players that he's kind of relied on just as human beings and, and such. And I think the, the more w- that we deviate from those, from those players, like Vincent Ray is a good example of, of it, of a guy who's gotten a lot of chances under Lewis and just hasn't performed up to the, to the expectation of the amount of snaps that he's been given Pac-Man, you know, there's a reason why he got cut from the Broncos. Obviously he just wasn't playing up to par. 
Um, he's probably doesn't have anything left in the tank at this point. Might as well just see, you know, what they have in Dark Wizard in the contract year. Obviously, you're still starting Jackson and Kirkpatrick. So, it like, yeah, they could probably use him, I guess, because the depth at cornerback isn't great. But at, at this point, I, I just I, I kind of want to stick with just not just just moving on from those familiar faces in the Marvin Lewis era. Yeah, I'm with you. I know. I, I mean, he could help a little bit in the secondary potentially, but uh, maybe even as you know a return man. But Erickson's actually having a pretty good year returning both punts and kicks, so I don't think there's a need there I, again. And who knows that that could be you know a catalyst to helping out the defense, or if the Bengals keep losing and you bring Adam Jones in and they're losing when with him in the locker room, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that could, that could get real ugly. So I'm with you. I just, just leave, leave well enough alone and, uh, move on. Thanks for all the listener questions this week. We try and get to those every week in a variety of different fashions. We appreciate that. And we appreciate all the live listeners. Uh, you can get this show in a number of different ways. Uh, YouTube, Cincy Jungle, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Art19. Have a happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Thanks for tuning into the Orange Black Insider. We'll see you next week. And uh, let's hope the Bengals win the first go-around of the Battle of Ohio. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart. <laughs>